Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? Pew Research asked those questions, those two questions, of Americans back in 2014, and the results were interesting. 72% of Americans say, yes, do they believe in heaven? Yes, they do. But the interesting thing is only 58% of Americans believe in hell. So why the gap? Why the gap? Why the gap between those who believe in heaven and those who believe in hell? Because we would typically think of those things together, right? Well, if we were being honest, and I don't just mean the general American society, but you and me, you you and me, those of us here and online, if we were honest with ourselves, really sat with it and really thought about it, we really don't like the idea of hell, right? Because I know you are like nice, loving people, and the idea of hell, if you're like really excited about it, you know? We don't really like the idea of hell. And we really thought about it too, like the idea of judgment. We don't really like that either, especially when it's not done in the standard of our own, like our own standard. If we're judged according to someone else's standard, we really don't like that either. And so, you know, a lot of us, some of us, we, we believe in it and we, it's kind of like one of those things like, oh, I don't like it, but I believe it. And others, like, I, I, I guess it probably makes sense, but uh, maybe it won't be that bad. Like, maybe it just won't be that bad. You know, like, we can start to make jokes about it. Like, well, hell won't be that bad. Uh, it's where all my friends will be, you know. Uh, well, hell, <laughs> it's going to be a party. I mean, it'll be hot, but it'll be fun. If Sin City in this life... Las Vegas is pretty good, then I can't imagine, oh, it's going to be so good in hell for eternity. We kind of make jokes about that. And the question is, like, really, when it comes down to it, is hell for real? And if so, then what is it like? And who would possibly go there? Because a lot of us, you know, when we see evil in life and in the world, we, we kind of have this thing deep inside of us that we're like, we, we want to see justice. And so like we think, well, maybe it's for the worst of the worst people. Maybe that's what hell is for. But as we've been doing in this series called Heaven, we're going to look at the other side of the coin of the afterlife and consider what, what does Scripture say about hell? Is it a place? And if it is, then what is it like and who would possibly go there. So Second uh, Thessalonians is where we're going to be to start. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And this is what Paul is speaking to the church in Thessalonica in the first century as they were dealing with hardship and persecution. This is what he says in verse 5. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also are suffering. So this church is suffering because of their faith and following Jesus. Verse 6, since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. When you are the one suffering, 
Hell seems to be kind of like, well, I hope it is there because people need to be paid back for what they've done. Like, if we're really honest, some people do need to be punished for what they've done. In verse 7, And to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us, this will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels. And this is where it gets interesting. Verse 8, When he takes vengeance, when God, with his angels, takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our, our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. On that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. Now, some people may call a belief in hell as like old-fashioned, as like not, not civilized, not... Uh, not developed enough, not evolved enough, that we're, we're beyond these kinds of binary ideas of heaven and hell and good and evil, and it's all relative, and it's just what makes you happy and what makes you feel good, and that's what life is all about. But is that what Scripture is saying? And if we say that we follow Jesus, then we have to take him at his word because he was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then he became flesh and dwelt among us, and this is God's word. And so the inconvenient idea, the inconvenient truth is that scripture talks about judgment. It talks about hell. And that is an idea that we don't really like. What does he say in verse 8? He says, when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will pay the penalty. They will pay the penalty. This is something that makes sense to us. Like we are made in God's image. And when we see violence and evil, when we see uh, hardship and we see someone uh, hurt someone, when we see that and it goes unpunished, that bothers us, doesn't it? When you see evil, when you see uh, someone shoot uh, eight people uh, in Indianapolis, that hurts us because that is wrong. That's not how it ought to be. And we, we, we desire justice to rain down on those who hurt people. Crime should be punished, right? That's what we believe. And it's inside of us because we are made in God's image and he is just and righteous. And that is the truth of the way God designed the world. It's supposed to be that those who do wrong pay a penalty. But, but when we talk about hell, that seems to be, for a lot of us, a little bit extreme. Because if you notice, what does he say as far as those who would possibly have this place as their destination? They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. They'll pay the penalty. What is the penalty? Eternal destruction. That means forever, never-ending destruction. And we're thinking to ourselves, like, well, yeah, of course, for, like, the people who do a lot of evil in this world. Like, for example, I remember when 9-11 happened. Many of us do, right? Etched in our mind where we were when we, when we first saw those images. We watched the news all day. All day. And inside of me is pain and hurt and, and a desire to see justice 
rain down on those who were responsible. We had a lot more questions than we had answers, and we wanted to see justice happen. We wanted to see healing happen for those families who lost loved ones. See, inside of us is a desire to see justice. But some of us, you know, like when we think about eternal destruction, like that's a lot, right? Like that's, that's pretty extreme. That's pretty major. We say the, cro- the punishment should fit the crime. But what did the people do who will pay the penalty of eternal destruction? What is it? What is it that they did wrong? Well, Paul says this. Verse 8, when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. He doesn't just take out like the, the top 1% of the most evil and violent people as we would rank them in the world. He's talking about people like you and me who live like maybe normal lives do normal things, have normal sins, who don't surrender to him, who don't follow him, and that is the penalty. And and I'm saying this, like we're talking about this, not because like I'm super pumped about talking about this subject, but because this is what God's word says. And it would be unloving for us not to consider the reality of this because a lot of us, we just kind of live life suppressing this awareness like just like ah, i know that's true but like i don't want to talk about it i don't want to think about it so paul tells us that this is going to be pretty major for those who end up there um and then john gives us a little bit more of a picture in revelation chapter 20 in this scene um right before this satan is defeated and he along with the false prophet and the beast and, and, and Satan and his demons, they are thrown into what is called the lake of fire, and they are dealt with. <clears throat> and this is what John says that happens after that in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. So Paul is telling us that this is paying the penalty of eternal destruction. God's bringing his vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and didn't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And John is giving us a picture of a lake of fire. And this is where those who are judged and need to pay the penalty go. So this is a scene. The, the, the masses standing before the great white throne 
of God, this is a scene that every single one of us will see. John has seen what is in the future, and we will all see this moment together at the same time. Because this is after all those who have died, uh, this is after Jesus returns, and uh, we are raised to life, and then we are brought to judgment. And in this moment, uh, there will be books opened, and uh, one of the books is the book of life, but there's other books that are open too. And we will, no matter our relationship with Jesus, all of us will be judged. Every thought you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, will be brought to light, and you will know what you have done. Judgment will be perfect, And righteous, and there will be no arguing with it because it will be fully true. So all of us will face this moment where we are standing before the great white throne in God's presence and he will tell us everything we've ever done. But not all of us will pay the penalty of eternal destruction because some people, what does it say, uh, those who... Uh, whose names were not found in the written in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire. So that means that there are some who will not be thrown into the lake of fire, uh, but they will still be judged. We'll all be judged and we'll all be found guilty before a holy God. All of us, every single one of us. No exception. All of us will be in this moment judged and be found guilty and deserving of hell. Friends, let's not get it twisted. Let's not get self-righteous. Like we got things figured out. All of us, every single one of us, you, me, everyone, we all deserve hell. If it's just based on merits, we love meritocracy in America, but if it's based on that, no, it ain't going to work for any of us. A few years ago, my uh, good friend, he, uh, he and his wife, uh, they had experienced a lot of changes, transformation in their lives. They had started to follow Jesus and really uh, just wanted to know him more. And they wanted their marriage to be built on him and that foundation. And uh, they had been married for a while. And uh, my friend Scott, he had an idea to, re- to surprise his wife with a, re- a vow renewal. And every year, them and some, some of their friends would go down to uh, Fripp Island in South Carolina. Anybody ever been there, Fripp Island, South Carolina? It's, it's, it's awesome. Y'all should try and go if you can. Um, and so they, they were going to go there, and he thought like it would be really cool to renew their vows on the beach. And, and I'm hearing him tell me about this plan. I'm like, that sounds awesome. Yeah, dude, Like that's, that's, that's winning. Hashtag winning in the, in the brownie point uh, category. And so he's like, hey, uh, would you like to officiate the vow renewal? I'm like, hold on, you said, where do you say we're going to go? Fripp Island? Yes. Yes, I will do that. Ah, i got to work it in my schedule, but yes, I will do that. Uh, and so here was the plan. I was going to fly down on Friday and stay the night there, you know, do the vow renewal, stay the night there, and then fly back on Saturday because I had to preach on Sunday. So this was like a whirlwind of a weekend. Um, and so uh, I, I pack my bags because I'm pumped to get to go to, to this place I've never been and uh, it's an island, so that sounds cool. And so I'm, I'm getting all my stuff packed, drive to the airport, and I get to the airport and go up to the, to the desk, you know, 
um, make sure everything's good to go. And I get up to the desk and I hadn't bought a ticket. But my name was still on the list. Because he paid for it. See, I didn't have the money to go on this trip, but he paid for me to be able to go. And so my name was on the, the airplane roster thing. And so I was still able to go. You see, none of us can pay the penalty that it would take for all of us, for us to be able to have our names written in the book of life. None of us deserve to have our names written there. None of us could pay for it ourselves. None of us could manipulate our way onto the list, onto the end of the book. But it requires someone else to pay it for us. So while I wasn't able to pay for that to happen, but I was able to go on the trip because he paid for me. In the same way, Jesus is the only reason any of us have hope to be able to be in the book of life and experience paradise and the new earth. That's the only reason any of us have hope. So may we not get self-righteous and think we have a right to this place. May we not get to the point where we assume that that is our destination versus everyone else's. Like it requires us to surrender to Jesus because we all have a sin debt, like we talked about last week, that dwarfs our nation's financial debt. And the only one who can pay that is Jesus himself. And so all of us come before a holy God guilty. None of us deserve to be able to be in in his presence. And and this is the thing that that really makes it hard for us to comprehend uh, why God would create such a place like hell. Because hell was meant for Satan. God's desire is that all would come to repentance, that no one would perish But all would come to repentance. That is why God sent God the Son. God the Father sent God the Son so that we would have an opportunity to be able to be with God just like it was designed to be in the beginning. Think about it. God created the heavens and the earth. He was in the garden. He created uh, Adam and Eve and he was in the garden walking with them. He was with them. They were with him and it was perfect. But sin came in and created a chasm. They left the garden because God kicked them out because they were no longer worthy and able to be in his presence in that same way. And so ever since then, humanity has been sinful, evil, and we've seen wars, we've seen destruction, we've seen hurting, we've seen pain because of sin, we've seen death because of sin. And all of this has been occurring and God still has been pursuing us even though all of us at times in our lives, we would look at God and say, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do my own thing in my own way. I'm choosing me over you. And we worship at the throne of ourselves or other pieces of creation that God has designed. And we are guilty before a holy God. We are all sinners and we deserve not heaven, but we deserve hell. And left to our own devices, that is where we will end up. But God loved us so much That he gave his only begotten son. His one and only son. He sent him. Why? Because our sin has created a debt that we cannot pay. Only God can pay it for us. No sin goes unpunished. He is just. He will judge. And he will make it. uh, every, Every account will be paid in full. But for us to pay the penalty of our sin, it would require eternity of 
eternal destruction. That's what it would require for us. We don't have the ability to pay it. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus came and on the cross, he took all of our sin, all of, all of your sin, all of my sin, past, present, future. All of it. Literally all of your sin. Put it on himself, died on that cross, then went down into death, defeated death, rose again, and has brought out the keys to life. And now he says, because of what I've done, you can now have life. You can have your debt wiped clean because I've paid it. All he's asking, all he's inviting to us to, to us to do is to receive life. To receive life. To say yes. To receive it. But he doesn't even stop there. When we surrender to Jesus, he gives, the Holy Spirit comes down and indwells us so that we can have abundant life now, not just for someday when. And one day Jesus is going to return. He's going to make all things new again. And so the, the gospel hope is that not only Jesus wipes away our sin, he pays the price for us. We all have a price that needs to be paid. We all have committed the crime. We all deserve the punishment. But Jesus has invited us, hey, I will do that for you. I have done that for you. Receive life. Say yes to this. And we also have all been sinners and we have been stained by sin. We need to be made new to be able to be in God's presence. And that's what the blood of Jesus does. We've all been enshackled to sin. We are enslaved to it. Have you ever just said, you know, I'm going to, sorry, God, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop doing that. You're you ever done that? You had those moments. You're like, yep, it's the last time. How'd that work out the next day? Paul himself, writer of a bunch of the New Testament, he's like, man, the things I don't want to do, that's the stuff I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do that. I've, I've got this thing in me. It's called sin. And it pervades me. And so we need to be set free from that. And that's what Jesus does. He sets us free so that we can no longer, so that we no longer have to live enslaved and bondage to sin. We're still impacted by it, but we're not enslaved to it. So that by the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we can start to say no to those things. Not because we have the strength, but because God has given us the strength to do it. And so, you know, some of us were like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But for real, like, everyone's guilty. And the only way is through Jesus. I don't want us to get it twisted. Like Paul says this in the book of Romans, Romans 1. He says, uh, the things that can be known about God are plain to everyone. Everyone can see. We can look out into the sky. We can look out uh, in, outside and we can see. We can look at ourselves and we can see that there is a creator. It is clear to everyone. Whether you have labeled yourself an atheist, an agnostic, a, a, a Christian, whatever, it is clear to us. And that's why we have so many religions. People are like, I, there's something out there. I know there's God, some, whatever, deity, something. He's out there. That has been made known to us, made plain to us. And yet what we do, because we are sinners, and because we don't want to come to, to terms with the fact that there is a God, we oftentimes suppress the truth. And we go about things our own way. We're like, yeah, you ever do something, you feel bad about it, right? You feel bad about what you've done. And then you're like, okay, I got to do something else so that I don't think about this anymore. It's too much. 
I can't deal. I don't know. I just need to need to get busy with something else. Some of us are so busy in our lives, not because we have to be busy, but because we're trying to run from the awareness of the fact that we're sinful and we haven't actually come to grips with that. And so we suppress the truth like, oh, yeah, I I did that. mm, Let me every time we sin, it's an opportunity for us to either go to God or run from him. And Jesus is inviting us, hey, come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And yet, what we oftentimes do, we run to other stuff to try and find rest, right? We take another drink. We go to another pill or drug. We go to another, another show to just watch and just veg out, zone out. We go to another relationship to try and find affirmation from people. We go to pornography to try and numb the pain. We go to sex. We go to all kinds of things to try and suppress the truth. Let me just distract myself enough times and I'll be okay. And yet, what God has said is, hey, I know everything about you. I know everything you've ever done. And yet, I still love you enough to come down and pay the price for you. Because while the lake of fire is a real place that real people will go one day, it doesn't have to be the place. See, the fact that God has set this up to where we get to decide where we go. The only reason someone will be judged and have to pay the penalty themselves is because they've chosen to do that. That's what Scripture, ta- that's what scripture teaches. It's a hard pill to swallow. It's not an exciting message to preach. Not a lot of jokes here. But it's reality. And so this this is what scripture teaches. Hell is a real place that we all deserve to go when we die. But thanks to Jesus, we can receive life both now and forever. God's desire is for no one to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's why Jesus came. And yet the reality is for all of us, we know people who have said, yeah, I'm not interested. And they will get the result of their decision. Eternity away from the presence of God. Eternal destruction. It's not fun. It's not going to be the party place. There will be no joy there. But Jesus has given us an invitation. Hey, even though this is all true, come to me and receive life. That's the good news, friends. This is what we all deserve. And yet, he said, come to me and receive life. For those of you who follow Jesus, this is a message not of uh, judgment, condemnation, but of hope and security. Because it's not based on what you do. You get that? If it was based on what you do, if your eternal destination was based on how good you are, None of us are going to make it to the place we'd like to be. But thanks be to God that he did not put it in our hands. He said, hey, receive life. I've already done it for you. Receive me. Receive life. See, this is what Jesus did. He said, hey, you are all enemies of the most high God. That's all. That's that's who we were before Jesus. Before you said the yes to Jesus, you were an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. I was aware of his reality. That made sense to me. I believe that. But I had not surrendered to him as the God and the King and the Lord that he is. 
I was an enemy of God. And God looked at me and said, even though you're an enemy, I'm going to send Jesus to, to rescue you so that you have the opportunity to become a child of mine. This is the grace of God. He allows us to go from enemies of his to children of his. And he paid the price for it. God is so good. Yet many people will say, I don't believe that. Or I don't care. I want to do it my own way. I want to be my own boss. Friends, those of you online, you're a terrible God. How's it working out? It doesn't work out well. So we have an opportunity in this life to make our life about him or about ourselves. And he's saying, hey, receive life. Become a child of mine. And it merely means to surrender everything you have to him. To pledge your allegiance to the king who is on the throne. And so if you're someone who is hearing this, whether now or in the future, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've not surrendered to him, I want to invite you to have a conversation with us. Have a conversation with someone you know who follows Jesus. Have a conversation with them. And the other thing is, for those of us who do have a relationship with Jesus, have surrendered to him, do we live like this thing is true? I'm asking myself that too. Do we live like this is for real? Because if we did, we'd probably have more conversations with people. We'd probably... Uh, show them hope and grace more and not allow the secondary things of this world to distract us from the primary main thing. And that is to give people hope in Jesus Christ, to share with them. Scripture says, uh, how can people believe if there's no preacher? Guess what, friends? There's, there's preaching's not just what's done up here on the stage. Preaching's what's done across the table walking down the street, talking to someone right next to you. Preaching is any time you proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You say, hey, here's my story. I once was this way. Now Jesus has made me this way. It's so good. It's hard, but God has made a way for me to have life. And I am so grateful for that. Do you want to know about that? Do we live as if this is true? Because the invitation is simple. We are not condemning anyone. We are simply saying, hey, receive life. Do you want life? Do you want to have freedom? Do you want to no longer live in bondage to the things that have hold you, held, you, held you down? Give your life to Jesus. Receive life. That's what he is here to do. So that's the message that we all get to proclaim. Whether we're on a stage or in a coffee shop or at home at the dining table, we get to proclaim that. So receive life. And don't miss next week because we're going to be talking about paradise, the place that Jesus is preparing for us. So don't miss that next week. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray and sing to our awesome God. Father, we love you. We thank you for being one who saw us as we really are. 
as enemies of yours. We've rebelled against you. We've tried to do things our own way and our own plans, our own timing and our own ways. We've tried to will it into existence. We've tried to earn your, your, your adoration because we felt like that's what we had to do uh, growing up with our parents or whatever it is. God, all of us have uh, barriers to surrendering to you. All of us have burdens that we carry on us. And God, I'm so thankful and grateful that you made a way for us to be able to bring all those things to you, our sin, our shame, our guilt, our weight that we carry around on our shoulders as if it's ours to bear. And you've invited us to come to you, all of us who are weary and heavy burdened, and you will give us rest. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to receive life. For you are life. And you've opened your arms up to us and invited us to come. Father, I pray that what you've done in this moment, Holy Spirit, please continue that work as we go about our day. If there's someone who's hearing these words and you have been piercing their heart and they don't have a relationship with you with you yet, God, I pray that you would not leave them alone, that someone would come alongside them and encourage them with the gospel. And I pray that they would not leave that to the side, suppress it, and just go about their day trying to forget about it. God, that you would remind them of your grace and your love. And Father, help us to not forget that you are just, you are holy, you are righteous, and that no sin goes unpunished. Lord, I pray that everyone who hears this would accept the invitation to have Jesus pay the price for them. Father, we love you, we praise you, and I pray that you would hear our worship and our praise, and that it would be pleasing to you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.